Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this much more docile and much more, I mean, let's just be honest, correct episode of the Four String Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Brady, with my co-host, Mitch. No scatter tonight. He's having some computer issues. Um, so he uh, gave us his picks, but we don't get to hear his opinions. So, you know. A win for everybody. A win for everybody. <laughs> We've got a great college football weekend review episode, as well as we look ahead to the conference championships. Prior to us looking at the conference championships, we're going to break down some key games, um, kind of borderline program-defining games uh, with some of these, um, and and really prospect-defining as well when we talk about um, things like the uh, upcoming NFL quarterback market, um, among just some other positions there. But uh, we're also going to give you a preview as to what the college football playoff looks like as we walk into the conference championship week and honestly, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, it's a pretty safe bet to pick the winners, but there's always some surprise that that pulls itself out on conference championship week. The same way as there is always some surprise that happens on rivalry week. And we'll start off with what might be the biggest surprise given kind of the directions of the two programs. And that was the Friday night showdown between Nebraska and Iowa, a game that you know, it doesn't have any college football playoff implications, but it did have Big Ten championship implications. Walking into the game, all Iowa had to do was win, and they returned to Indianapolis, where they'd play Michigan again. Michigan absolutely smoked them last year in the Big Ten championship game, but we would get to see Iowa uh, get smoked again, in all honesty. Um, but instead, Casey Thompson, uh, uh, what's the wide receiver's name? Jordan Palmer? Trey Palmer. Trey Palmer. I'm so sorry. The Texas Casey, boys. Yeah, Texas boys. Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer had kind of other other things to say about it. They pulled off a 24 to 17 win against Iowa. Now Nebraska was up 24 to nothing with 12 minutes left in the third quarter before they allowed Iowa to storm back. Iowa led for the majority of the game by backup quarterback Alex Padilla when their starting quarterback Sean Petrus went out with a shoulder injury. Mitch. What were your thoughts on this this win for the Huskers? First time they've beaten Iowa since 2014. Um, they did it in Iowa City. They're not playing for a bowl game, but they still got to take a trophy home at the end of the season. And yeah. disclaimer for the, the fans here, we will talk about the head coaching hires once we have our third host with us and we can all kind of have an open discussion about it. But what was your thoughts on that? And then what's your thoughts on Iowa? I mean, after fumbling the bag uh, on their way to yeah. possibly a Big Ten championship. Yeah, I mean, the season didn't go exactly as planned for Nebraska uh, with Scott Frost at the helm. But you got to give the man credit for having the foresight to bring in a quarterback like Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer in from Texas. Because both of those guys have been great. Casey Thompson, I feel like, has been uh, very consistent. You know, he was in the leaderboard for – uh, you know, the, the first half of the season when it comes to passing statistics and all that. And, man, Trey Palmer is really balled out at Nebraska, similar to how uh, Samori Torre was last year. Um, and, you know, he showed it against, a, a, like, a top-five defense like Iowa with, you know, nine catches, 165 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the dude's a mid-round guy just because of the season that he's had in Nebraska. I mean – that's really what kind of fueled this. They just didn't have an answer for, you know, those two guys and they really brought in the win um, and built a big enough lead to where Nebraska couldn't be Nebraska. 
Um, as for Iowa, I mean, Spencer, he, I think the only thing that was really holding the back is obviously the offense. It's been garbage all year, uh, especially just the quarterback position. Spencer Peaches was never the answer. I felt like Alex Bedia in short bursts has shown more, but uh, after this game, now he's transferring out. So I think Kirk Ferentz is really going to have to look at the transfer portal and bring a solid quarterback in, maybe like a Cade McNamara. Because um, I feel like once they can figure out the quarterback position and get back to when they had the likes of, uh, um, oh, man. CJ Beathard? Gonna, yeah, like CJ Beathard. Um, and even maybe to a lesser degree, like, uh, Nate Stanley, uh, Nate, Nate Stanley. Yeah. Like those kind of consistent guys, uh, I feel like they can get back to what they were, but, uh, you know, between that and Brian Ferentz just running the offense in the ground, they're not going to go anywhere fast. So I feel like if they can get that quarterback, uh, I think they can get back to, you know, competing for big 10 championships. Yeah. It's always so crazy to me that Iowa, <clears throat> as a program, you know, in recent memory had two tight ends drafted in the first round in what back-to-back years. Yeah, I believe so. Back-to-back years. And George Kittle, who's maybe the best tight end of the three of them was drafted in like the fourth or fifth round. Like I was truly, if not tight end university, one of tight end university, because, because we can go back to like all time grace. We can talk about like Dallas Clark, right? The old Indianapolis Colts tight end. Iowa tight end uh, as well. Um, And and they have guys, they have wide receivers who are in the NFL. They have offensive linemen who are in the NFL. They have, I think for a while, I know they had a couple of halfbacks in the NFL. I don't know if they have any anymore still, but there's, there's a, a very large mark, which is they don't have any quarterbacks in the NFL. And there's a lot of programs that have that right until Justin Fields show up. Uh, there wasn't an Ohio State quarterback who had started. Sorry, until well, yeah, no, Joe Burrow's LSU. Sorry, uh, until Justin Fields showed up, there hadn't been an Ohio State quarterback starting in the league since I believe Terrell Pryor, um, which is well, no, sorry, Dwayne Haskins as well. I apologize. Yeah, um, but like, there's been these, there's been these gaps and stuff. But Iowa just has no production at the quarterback position. They have another great tight end in Sam Laporta. Um, they have some pretty good wide receivers and guys like Luke Lachey as well. But we also just saw the guy who is going to the Big Ten Championship, um, the Purdue wide receiver. Charlie Jones. Charlie Jones, a transfer from, from Iowa, Iowa, you know, <laughs> who never saw any playing time. Now, Purdue is an air raid style offense versus a pro style. Take it for what it's worth, yada, yada, yada. But anyway, he still transfers out. And, and the program just offensively can't get anything going. Now, Iowa seven and five because of how good their defense is because of how good their special teams are. But yeah, I mean this, I've said it for a couple of years and and even when Iowa was in the big 10 championship game last year, to me, the Iowa program took a significant step down when Christian McCaffrey annihilated them in the Rose bowl a couple of years ago, you know, the Iowa football program has just never really looked the same after that. And and I don't know if it's – I don't know if that was just the best team that Kirk Ferentz ever had the opportunity to field because that was a that was a fucking great Iowa team that year. But there there's a lot of things that Iowa has to work on, and it all starts offensively. They don't have to make any changes on defense. They don't have to make any changes on special teams. They really don't even have to make any changes at any other position – 
besides quarterback. You either need to run, get an updated offense that quarterbacks of a modern age can run because you're still running the same offense that you've been running for the last, what, 30 years now, or you have to find a quarterback who can excel in your offense. And, and I just don't know if Iowa has the capability of doing those things. And, and truly, I don't know if Kirk Ferentz is just too stubborn to actually do any of these things. You know, if he's kind of a coach, maybe marred by his own success, if that makes sense. Yeah. And he's not going to fire his own kid. No, absolutely not. Why would you? He's running um, the offense. Yeah. But I will agree with you. Um, you know, Trey Palmer had 71 catches on the year, north of 1,000 yards. I believe he had double-digit touchdowns. Um, for an offense that has put up a pitiful amount of points through the majority of the season. And, and the, the kid has just continued to show out. Uh, now he's a junior. Could he come back for, you know, Matt Rule's first year here? It, there's there's a good possibility. I wouldn't rule it out of the question. I think if he came back, he could bump his draft stock even more. Um, but I, I don't necessarily see him coming back to Nebraska. Um, and, and Casey Thompson... He's also a junior. I'm not sure if he's made a decision on if he's coming back or not, but it, it was nice to see what Nebraska could have looked like if everything was functional and if everything, you know, was he- if everyone was healthy. Um, but I, I wouldn't, I would, I would hesitate to call this anything more than Iowa shooting itself in the foot. You know, the way that we the way that at least I expected Iowa to do when I picked Purdue to win the Big Ten West a couple of weeks ago. Um, But let's move on here and let's uh, hop around the college football world here. Um, So after Nebraska pull off that upset of Iowa, we also want to head on over to Clemson, South Carolina, not Clemson. Well, actually, yeah, the game was played in Clemson, South Carolina, but it is also Clemson versus South Carolina, um, where Spencer Rattler and the Gamecocks pick up their third consecutive win against ranked opponents, and they snap Clemson's streak of, I believe, 42 consecutive home wins um, when leading by double-digit points. It was insane. And, And we all sat here, and we talked about, we all picked Clemson. We sat here and we said, um... I don't believe Spencer Rattler can do it again. And while he had some issues, uh, 25 of 39, 360, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Hey, when time came down to it, he did it again. Mitch, what was your thoughts on South Carolina versus Clemson? Um, Yeah. I mean, just kind of like exactly like you said, I didn't think Spencer Rattler could do it again, but here he is putting up for the most part, good numbers. If you, you know, exclude the t- interceptions, but taking down the number eight team in the country, um, I just don't know how I feel about him, honestly, because up until this point, he really hadn't been doing anything. You know, this is kind of looking more like the, the end of his tenure at Oklahoma, but, you know, coming off two big, huge wins, I don't know what his future looks like now because you've seen the highs and lows of him. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think they really, Clemson really lost this game is because they don't have a quarterback kind of like Iowa. Uh, I thought you were kind of seeing the strides uh, in the earlier to midseason. You know, G.J. Ugly did have some good games in there where I thought, hey, maybe it's kind of going to finally clicking for him. He's taking that next step. But towards the end of the season, you know, eight of 29, 99 yards, touchdown, interception. 
that's not going to get it done, especially at a, a program like Clemson that has multiple championships in the past 20 years. Um, so I feel like he can't be the guy going in next year. It's got to they have to turn to Cade Culbeck and see what you got in there because if you're truly trying to build this dynasty on par with like Nick Saban at Alabama, you, you can't have that kind of production from their quarterback um, position. I feel like that's really what's been keeping them. Um, if they have a different quarterback, I think you know they have a shot at making the, the college football playoff this year. Um, but yeah, they're gonna have to figure that out um, because the defense, you know, outside of the secondary, I think has played very well. Uh, they found in the running game. Will Shipley's been kind of the main anchor there, but yeah, Clemson's got to figure out with their quarterback and passing game because it's really hurting them. Yeah. Um... You know, it, it's so crazy because when, like, you look at, at Rattler and Uangiolele, um side by side, Rattler on the year, 2,700 yards, 16 touchdowns, 11 picks, 57.5 QBR. Uh, uh, Uyunglele, 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 65.9 QBR. Like, DJU is the better prospect. DJU is the better quarterback, but he, he was just nowhere to be seen in the passing game. Now... For a Clemson team, I'd also go with the backup kind of next year because you are bringing back guys, you know, Will Shipley, who's had a great year. He's only a sophomore. Uh, Bo Collins, Antonio Williams, those guys are coming back. You know, I, I could see DJ declaring for the draft because he's got he's got the body for an NFL quarterback, 6'4", 235. Um, and he's got the statistics that I think shows that he could be a, a developmental mid-round pick, but but I just I don't know what his future at Clemson yeah. at Clemson I is. I I really just don't. And you know, for the Tigers, it was it, we worried about their defense this whole year, and they had a couple of weeks where their defense really stepped up and they looked really good. But but when push came down to shove, they just they couldn't they couldn't get a stop against uh, against Clemson or against uh, South Carolina. You know, Clemson was up twenty three to fourteen at the half. Um, and even though the defense had a pick six, you know, pretty early on, um, outside of that, the offensively in the second half, here's Clemson drives, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, punt, interception, punt, right? And, and South Carolina didn't play great, I mean, in, in terms of the second half there, but they ended up doing enough. Spencer Rattler ended up doing enough to pull off the big win. And what I will say is that for Shane Beamer and this Gamecocks program, that's a massive win. You know, you walked into Death Valley and beat the number eight team in the nation on a uh, in a rivalry game to effectively end any and all chance that Clemson had at a possibility of a college football playoff appearance. That's a massive program defining win for an SEC team that that we all kind of forgot about because of what was going on with Ole Miss and Auburn or Ole Miss and Alabama and Georgia and LSU and and the downfall of Texas A and M that. We kind of forgot to sit there and talk about, hey, uh, South Carolina's eight and four on the year and just beat a top 10 team on the road. Um, but let's uh, let's boogie on up to the shoe where the Ohio State Buckeyes got steamrolled by Michigan. Mitch, Michigan pulls off a 45 to 23 crushing domination of Ohio State. What were your thoughts on that game? Um, yeah, I think we kind of all have to eat crow, even though I did pick Michigan, because 
coming into this year, I really thought, you know, and I and I did in my like uh, preseason prediction, I had Iowa or Ohio State coming out of the Big Ten. I just thought it's too high powered. You know, Michigan had a nice year last year, but they lost a ton of talent. I really don't think they can do it again. Um, but you know, here they come into this Ohio State game both unbeaten, and it's not even close. Um, and even though Blake Corum, you know, really didn't play, I mean, he only had two carries on the ground. Uh, they're able to get done with their backup down of Edwards. Um, you know, 22 carries, 216 yards, two touchdowns. That's insane. Um, and I feel like J.J. McCarthy had a fantastic game. Uh, I know we had a lot of questions for him. To, you know, can he do it? Can he finally show it? And I think he did. And it's going to be huge for them, especially if they are able to beat Purdue and go into the uh, college football playoffs. And let's see what this can, kid can do in the really bright, bright lights. But um, but on the Ohio State side, um, their fans need to shut the fuck up. I, Ryan Day is a good coach. I know there's a lot of people who wanted him fired, and hey, let's bring Luke Fickle in. But really, his winning percentage is crazy. The only losses I can think of is to Michigan these past two years and uh, one in the college football playoffs. But otherwise, they win and blow out all the other teams. So that's ridiculous. And it's kind of weird to think about that CJ Stroud's been the starter for like two years, and he's never won the Big Ten championship, which is really weird for an Ohio State uh, quarterback kind of guy. And I kind of feel like he, you know, his stock kind of fell down a little bit, especially, you know, coming into this big game. And, you know, the yards is there, 349 yards, but two touchdowns, two interceptions. It it kind of hurt his stock as being, you know, possibly the number one quarterback being drafted up uh, this upcoming uh, uh, spring. Um, but, yeah, and I feel like the defense definitely took that step forward, but, Obviously, they still need some work if they're going to let uh, Blake Corum, less uh, Michigan offense, score 45 on them. Yeah, I mean, all great points. Um, yeah, I have to eat crow on Michigan. I picked Ohio State. I didn't think Michigan could pull it off. They hadn't won in Ohio State since 2000. But here's a crazy statistic. In the second half of the last two games, of the last two Michigan versus Ohio State games, Michigan has outrushed Ohio State 430 yards to 24. Let me read that again. In the last second, in the second half of the last two games, Michigan has outrushed Ohio State 430 yards to 24. That's inexcusable for Ohio State. Now, what I also want to say is that we have to give Harbaugh a ton of credit, right? Walking into the season, he lost both his offensive and defensive coordinators. He lost 12 of his 22 starters to the to the, either to the NFL or two injuries. And what did he do? He went 12-0 and and has Michigan poised for its second consecutive appearance in the college football playoff. Um, I didn't believe in J.J. McCarthy, and a lot, of, a lot of my fears on him was that walking into the season, there was, there was not a clear-cut start. Right. We didn't know if it was going to be McCarthy or McNamara, and they went back and forth on a couple of games. JJ McCarthy showed out. He hit a couple of really long balls, but his his completion percentage is still something that really worries me once this college football playoff starts, right? If Michigan gets past Purdue here, can you get away with completing 50% of your passes 
or on the season, what is he at? Like one second. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. uh, on the season, he's at 65%. Like, can, can you get away with, with 50 to 60% completion percentage and win a college football playoff game? That, that's my big question. But as long as Michigan has their rushing attack offensively, they're dangerous as hell. I mean, Edwards had a great game. You do all that without Blake Corum. The Michigan defense played fantastic. But for Ohio State, um, I – yeah, it's crazy that C.J. Stroud never won a Big Ten championship game, never made it to a Big Ten championship game, and never beat Michigan in his Ohio State career. And yet he might be the highest drafted Ohio State quarterback since Terrell Pryor. I think he was drafted like second or third overall. I might be wrong. Okay. But Ohio state's complete inability to run the ball through a vast majority of that game. um, Especially in the second half when they, when they needed to run the ball to spark the offense offensively, you know, you had uh, obviously a, a ton of injuries, right? We didn't see Jackson Smith and Jigba almost this entire season. And he was a guy that we all said could be a top 10 pick walking into the year. Um, you know, we saw other wide receivers step up, but what I'll say is that given the struggles that we know Justin Fields has in the NFL, given the struggles that we saw Dwayne Haskins have, given the fact that Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback got a lot better when Urban Meyer wasn't his head coach, I think that there's a fair amount of, um, questioning that has to go into any Ohio state prospect, right? Like, and you can and, and Ohio State fans are going to sit there and they're going to say, "Oh, but what about Joe Burrow?" Yeah, but you let Joe Burrow walk, right? You let him leave. Talk to me about JT Barrett's great NFL career, right? Like Ohio State has not been known to produce quarterbacks, and especially even though they've had such an insane amount of success on the college football field, that has not translated into success for NFL prospects oh, yeah. at the quarterback position. I mean, JT Barrett, uh, Cardell Jones, Cardell Jones. Uh, uh, who's the original starter? Braxton Miller. Yeah. Braxton Miller, who had the change to a wide receiver in the NFL. Um, in their most, you know, uh, one who's producing in the NFL right now, Justin Fields. I mean, the dudes from Georgia, he's a transfer. It's not like they found him, developed him. The, you can thank Kirby smart for that. Um, and like you said, they had a guy like Joe Burrow, who's, top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, and they let him walk and go to LSU and win a national championship. Um, so yeah, they, even though they're the, they win national championships, big championships in their sleep and all that kind of stuff and their amazing program, they can't figure out the quarterback position and translate it to, uh, you know, pro success. It's kind of baffling. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely crazy that like there's, so uh, there's a possibility that if a guy like Drake may gets drafted in the first round, that North Carolina would have more first round picks at quarterback in the last decade than Ohio state would given that only one of those teams has even made it to a college football playoff. Right. Like, cause you got to take Trubisky into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, the question is, is, is our Ohio state quarterbacks so good because they're actually good or are Ohio State quarterbacks good because they have an amazing supporting cast of wide receivers around them? 
That that's the question. And CJ Stroud is going to be able to answer that. But people who are sitting there and talking about how how well Justin Fields is playing, guys, it's not because he's throwing the ball well, right? It's because he's running the ball really fucking well. It, so I, I think there's questions there. I mean, I don't think Ohio State needs to go into any drastic changes, but a couple of years ago, we talked a lot of these same points about Michigan after they got destroyed by Ohio State. And Michigan re-hit their recruiting books. They uh, opened up their checkbooks in order to, to bring in assistant coaches, uh, coordinators, help with NIL stuff, and they've completely turned their, their football program around. This is, whether Ohio State wants to admit it or not, this is a nexus for Ohio State because so many of your starters are gone next year. What is this team going to look like the year after when we know that guys like JJ McCarthy are going to be back for Michigan, right? When we know that Penn state is Penn state's returning a left tackle who is projected would have been projected to be a top 10 pick in this year's draft, right? What's Ohio state going to look like? Are they going to play for a Rose bowl? Cause now there's con- there's conversation about if Michigan goes to the college football playoff, which with a win they do, who does the Rose bowl pick Ohio state or Penn state, right? But, Let's move on. Let's continue uh, our hop around the college football oh. world. Sorry, you guys have something else you want to talk about? I just like shitting on Ohio State. I love shitting on Ohio State. I really but... hope it's like flipped and Ohio State gets into like those Michigan years where it's like Denard Robinson at the quarterback and they're just not doing anything. I really hope Ohio State hits that low. Denard Robinson and like Devin Gardner. And yeah. hell yeah, hell yeah. Let's head out. To Corvallis, Oregon, where the Oregon Ducks, who had won um, nine of their last 11 games and really for the longest time had dominated their rivalry against the Beavers, absolutely blew it against the Beavs. Oregon was up 34 to 17 in the fourth quarter. Oregon State, after about the halfway point of the third quarter, did not attempt a single pass. And yet the Beavers pull out the 38-34 to win to stun Oregon and knock them out of their place in the Pac-12 championship. Mitch, what's it out to you in Oregon, Oregon State? Well, like you said, uh, Ben Gulbertson had a horrible game. 6-13, 60 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. Like, how did he pull up a... Uh, dropping 38 point victory on the number nine team in Oregon. That's crazy. But, you know, they just really relied on that stable. Um, whether it was like Damian Martinez, their leading rusher, or, or Isaiah Newell, uh, you know, Ben Gulberson was able to do it on the ground, uh, rushing in two touchdowns. Um, but yeah, they just kind of went into Kansas State mode. And between their running back stable and quarterback, they just ran all over Oregon. Um, and even though Bo Nix, I think, you know, played pretty decent for Bo Nix. Uh, they just weren't able to stop it, and rush defenses being kind of an issue for Oregon. Um, you know, unfortunately, it knocks them out. Yeah, I mean, like this is what's crazy. So, Oregon was up thirty-four to seventeen, as I stated, fourteen fifty-seven left in the game. <laughs> Here's the drives after that field goal. Uh, uh, three play 36 yard drive for Oregon state touchdown. Why was it three plays 36 yards? Because there was a face mask on the kick return uh, after the, the Oregon touchdown Oregon. So it's 34, 17 Oregon follows it up with a fumble 
at their own 13-yard line. It gets recovered on their own two. Oregon State, two plays, two yards, touchdown, 34-31, just like that. Oregon follows it up with what is truly the most bizarre fucking sequence of plays I've known in my life. They... They start the game out, or they start to drive out with a first down. Pick up, you know, seven-yard rush, three-yards rush, first down, right? They then go two-yard pass, um, uh, or sorry, loss of two-yards pass. At this point, there's 10 minutes left in the game. Um, They run the ball, and then they complete a pass for seven yards. So it's fourth and one. Ball on your own 28-yard line, nine and a half minutes left in the game, and you've got a three-point lead. And for some reason, Oregon decides to go for it. They don't make it. Turnover on downs. Oregon State follows it up with a four-play, 28-yard touchdown drive. Oregon gets the ball back, drives the length of the field, and turns the ball over on downs. I understand going for it in a lot of situations, but when you've got a three-point lead on the road and your defense hasn't been able to stop the rushing attack, why on earth? would you give Oregon State a short field? Why not punt it, force Oregon State to eat clock and just sell out against the run? I I, I just don't, I, I don't comprehend it. And, and it's a fitting end for the Oregon season, given that everybody else in the Pac-12, I'd say that Washington included, um, uh, not everybody else, but Washington, Utah, uh, USC, I, I think have all looked better on the year than Oregon has. And the Ducks have just gotten away with a couple of wins, but... Not against the Beavs. Um, I'm so glad I got that one right on our picks. Um, but any other thoughts on Oregon, Oregon State before we uh, we wrap up with what may be the biggest upset of the entire week? Um, yeah, even though I did pick Oregon, like I said, I thought their defense was going to keep it close. And obviously it did enough to uh, get them the win. And yeah, I totally agree with you. It was kind of baffling that they wouldn't punt and let their defense, uh, you know, sell it to try to stop the running game, especially when you're considering that their head coach is Dan Lanning, the former defensive coordinator for the national championship, Georgia Bulldogs. So it's really even more perplexing when you think about that. 100%. It, it, it was just a perplexing, it was a perplexing game for Oregon, obviously, but it was just a perplexing series of, you know, those last four drives or so. <laughs> um, but Let's head out to Kyle Field and Texas A&M, where the four and seven Aggies upset the number five ranked LSU Tigers. LSU had already clinched a spot in the SEC championship game, but was poised to be top four walking into the um, conference championship week against Georgia. And with a good showing, the Tigers could feasibly make the college football playoff. With a win, it'd be almost guaranteed. But instead, the Aggies pull off a 38-23 to win. Now, LSU still playing in the SEC championship game. If they beat Georgia, there's feasibly an argument to be made about LSU being a college football playoff team. Mitch, I want to get your takes on that argument, but I also want uh, what your takes on the game itself were. Yeah, I mean, LSU's been a very confusing team all year they didn't have the greatest start then they were able to find some continued success and then they lose to a team like Texas A&M where it's been all in the gutter 
the offensive coordinators are even fired. Uh, you know, people are trying to figure out how they can get rid of Jimbo Fisher without paying Tim like a billion dollars to do it. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's pretty much an incredible win for Texas A&M. I think a huge component to it is uh, turning to their freshman, uh, Connor Wegman, and just kind of getting some consistency at quarterback because I feel like they've just been trying like different guys at the position. It just wasn't working. But even though the stats don't blow out at you, you know, 12 of 18, 155 yards, two touchdowns, it was, you know, kind of the consistency they needed just to get things going on offense. And then just really relying on their star running back in David Ashan, uh, 38 carries, 215 yards, two touchdowns, and let him show why he's being considered as one of the top backs going into the draft this year. Um, he can do it to the passing game as well. I feel like just they just really leaned into it. And this Texas A&M defense has kind of been slipped on a little bit just because of how bad Texas A&M is. But I think they finished the year with the top passing defense. So uh, they were just able to finally lean into their str- Strengths now that they're a little bit more consistent and uh you know maybe uh shine a light on LSU and uh maybe they're a little bit more of the pretenders from this uh pretend uh, earlier this year than uh what we were you know seeing going into the end of the year yeah it's <sighs> LSU is just Jaden Daniels like that that's it you know and and if if LSU had any other option, right? They don't really have a great running game outside of Jalen Daniels. They had a little bit of success against um, A&M. But again, like we talk about guys, like Keishon Booty was a projected first round pick walking into this game. He goes for four catches for 43 yards against a seven loss Texas A&M team. Michael Neighbors is a great wide receiver, but LSU should have dominated this game. And I don't know if this was just that because they'd already clinched their SEC championship spot, that they were just sleeping walking into Kyle Field. Texas A&M has played LSU extremely competitively since Texas A&M has joined the SEC. But this is this all of a sudden completely shifts the focus of how we view Brian Kelly's season, right? Because it it goes from if LSU is walking in ten and two to that game against Georgia, and as long as that game is competitive you're going to give this season a marked success, right? Now they're going to walk in nine and three. They're most likely going to get annihilated by the Bulldogs. And and we're going to sit there and ask, okay, is this what we brought Brian Kelly in for? I know it's only been one year. And I know that, you know, there's positives, right? Nobody expected LSU to be playing for a conference championship, but that's kind of as much on the issues of Alabama and Auburn and Texas A&M than it is LSU being some dominant football team because we watched this LSU team just get absolutely steamrolled by Tennessee just a couple of weeks ago, you know? So LSU is going to have to take a lot of deep looks at themselves. Their, their recruiting classes are decent by most standards, not great for LSU standards. And you know that with NIL, it's just going to get even more difficult to recruit in the SEC. So, so what, what's LSU going to look like? And for Texas A&M, I, this might be the game that saves Jimbo Fisher's job if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, they'll pay him $70 million to fire him or something like that. It's fucking crazy what they'll pay him if they ended up firing him. Um, but it's just this is the worst uh, a team has ever finished following up a number one recruiting class. And yet they still found a way to pull off a win against a top five team. It's almost like if Texas A&M had a coach that would, you know, institute an offensive playbook that's from this century – 
they they might be a national championship contending team. But I just I never I never liked the Jimbo Fisher hire when they pulled it off. I, it looks worse and worse, kind of each season. In all honesty, um, but that's our college football weekend review. Uh, Mitch, any last thoughts on the uh, last week of the college football regular season here? Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely sucks that, you know, Wisconsin couldn't bring home the axe. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of excitement that we'll talk about next episode about why it hurts a little bit less. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we'll talk about the coaching changes. Um, once we have, uh, you know, our third co-host here and we figure out what neon Deion Sanders is trying to do, but we will hop in to our conference championship predictions. We're going to start on Friday night as the Utah Utes look to defend their Pac-12 championship as they take on... No, I'm sorry. Actually, before we do that, let's break down the college football rankings as they stand final week of the season or our regular uh, conference championship week here. At number one, no surprise, we've got Georgia. At number two, no surprise, we've got Michigan, followed by TCU and USC. So if the season were to end today, that would be your college football playoff. On the outside looking in, we have Ohio State, Alabama at five and six, followed by Tennessee, Penn State, Clemson, and K-State. Of numbers five through nine, uh, only Clemson is going to play this week. So uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, hell, even Penn State have to hope that everybody ahead of them loses. They have to hope that TCU loses the Big 12, USC loses the Pac-12, Michigan loses the Big 10, and Georgia loses um, the SEC. And even then, for some of those teams, it's going to take a little bit of help. But it is worthy of noting that there's not really, with LSU's loss, there's not really a team that with a conference championship win could propel themselves into the college football playoff. So with that being said, we'll start in the Pac-12 in a rematch of a 43-42 to win by Utah, handing USC their only loss of the season. Um, we're going to be playing this game at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mitch, for the Pac-12 championship, Utes versus Trojans. Who are you taking? I'm going to go with the Trojans. Uh, when you kind of look at the stats, you want to go with Utah just because of the disparity between the Utah offense going against the USC defense. But, I mean, the disparities were there when they played the first time, and it was a one-point uh, victory margin margin of victory. Um, and I just feel like Caleb Williams, towards the end of the the you know, compared to the last time, has played a lot better and has been a lot more clutch since then. Um, and even though Travis dies in playing, they found something in Austin Jones to replicate that rushing attack. Um, and when you got a coach like Lincoln Riley, he knows how to get to the college football playoffs. He knows how to, you know, win conference championships. So I think with that, and now that they've played against Utah, because you got to consider Lincoln Riley's first time playing in the Pac-12. So he's getting used to what the teams are like, what they want to do, all that kind of stuff. I feel like he'll have a better game plan going forward. So I think uh, the Trojans, with everything on the line, um, are going to be Utah and uh, solidify that college football playoff spot. Yeah, Skyler is going to take the Utes. Um, but I, in matchups like this, I tend to favor the team that lost the first time, especially in a close one. So I'm going to agree with Mitch, and I'm going to pick the Trojans. Mitch, I think you hit it right on the head. Austin Jones has been playing fantastic. 
the last two weeks, both against uh, ranked opponents, UCLA and Notre Dame, he's gone 46 carries, 100 or sorry, 274 yards and two touchdowns. He's also added five catches for 73 yards as well. If you want to include the week before that against Colorado, he had another four catches for 39 yards and a touchdown to go with 11 carries for 74 yards. He no Travis die, no problem for USC. He stepped right into that role. And while I would really like to take Utah because of that defense, let's not forget last time these two teams played Caleb Williams threw five touchdowns and it took a two point conversion by Utah to pull off the win. Now, Utah's got the much better defense. If either team is going to be more likely to get a stop, it's going to be Utah. There's no doubt about that. But USC put up 42 against them last time. Utah has just gotten less healthy as the season has progressed. I'm going to take the Trojans to pull off the win and punch their ticket to the college football playoff. Mitch, let's head over to the Big 12 championship in a matchup that literally none of us fucking expected. We're going to have the K-State Wildcats led by Adrian Martinez. So you hear that, Nebraska fans? Martinez can lead a team to a conference championship as they oh. take on <laughs> as they take on uh, Max Dugan and the number three ranked undefeated TCU Horned Frogs. TCU undefeated for the first time since 2010 in position to make up for the college football committee, leaving them out of the college football playoff in 2014. Um, these two teams met earlier in the season when TCU pulled off a 38 to 28 win at home. This game is going to be played at AT AT&T stadium in Fort Worth, Mitch Wildcats versus Horned Frogs. Who are you taking? I'm going to go with uh, TCU. Um, you know, they're an undefeated team, but you know, uh, some of those games had not just been the blowout wins. Like some of the other undefeated teams have been like, uh, so they know how to come make a comeback and uh, steal the deal, which I think is going to be huge going into this game. Um, and when just kind of look at the statistics, I mean, K-State's defense against the pass, 59th against the rush, 57th. And when you're going against a, a high-powered offense where TCU is 25th again in the pass and 28th on the ground, uh, I feel like they're going to be able to exploit uh, those mismatches in the defense. So I'm going to go with the Horn Frogs. Skyler is also taking the Horned Frogs, but I'm going to say not so fast. And I'm going to pick the K-State Wildcats to win the Big 12 championship. And here's why. Let's take a look at the last three weeks against Baylor, West Virginia, and Kansas. K-State has won those games respectively 31-3, to 48-31, 47-27. to 27. Meanwhile, TCU has struggled. Now, they blew out of uh, Iowa State, no doubt about that, but... A one-point win against Baylor, a 10-point win against Texas Tech, a seven-point win against Texas. TCU has continued to find ways to come from behind. There's no doubt about that. But TCU's passing defense, worse than K-State's. TCU's rushing defense, similar to K-State's. But K-State has such a balanced attack. 211 through the air, 210 through the ground. Defense has given up less than 20 points per game. I'm going to take Adrian Martinez and K-State to hold the ball, put on long sustained drives so that all their defense really has to do is pull off one or two stops. Adrian Martinez has done something this year. We never saw him do while he was at Nebraska. He just hasn't turned the ball over. He's only thrown one interception on the entire year. 
He's looked fantastic. K-State does not turn the ball over in general. Their defense is sneaky good, and I'm going to take them to pull off the upset and shatter TCU's hopes of a college football playoff berth. Um, uh, Let's head down to Georgia. Uh, We're going to be playing the SEC championship game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Mitch, the LSU Tigers coming fresh off of that loss to Texas A&M and having dropped from being ranked fifth in the nation to 14th, will take on the reigning national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. Mitch, what chance does LSU have in this game? Zilch, zero, nothing. Um, I feel like even though Georgia statistically has taken a little bit of a step back, I think they're like the – like. Six or like seventh, like overall total defense compared to being two last year. Um, shout out to Air Force for being the best defense in the country at the end of it all. Hell yeah. Um, right. but it, I mean, there's still playmakers on there. Jalen Carter, who's going to be a top five pick, uh, who's supposed to be better than Jordan Davis. And we all know how Jordan, how cool Jordan Davis and how dominant he was last year. Uh, they still got some guys in the back end as well. But I feel like that really the difference for them this year is Georgia's offense is fucking dominant. Uh, Stenson Bennett has taken the next step and looks like a legit guy compared to being the, oh, it's nice the backup quarterback's kind of getting them these wins kind of thing. Uh, Brock Bowers has been amazing at the tight end position. They have something at the wide receiver position, Lane McConkey, and Kenny McIntosh is picking up that running back mantle. So they're really dangerous on offense, and it, there's just really no weaknesses. And like you said with the LSU, the offense has really been Jaden Daniels or bust, which we kind of saw it uh, when he was out uh, west of Arizona State. Um, so they just really don't have any uh, hopes. Yeah, like here's what I'll say. LSU has the talent to win this game. They, they, they're they loaded with five-star recruits. They have the talent on paper to win this game. But offensively, Georgia's just been dominant. Through, through the vast majority of the season. They've had a couple of hiccups, right? Didn't look great in the first half against Georgia Tech. Had the close game against Missouri. But when you're a defense that holds Tennessee to 13 points, a team who, oh, by the way, hung up 40 on LSU at LSU just a couple of weeks ago, they should win this game walk-off. If LSU can only put up 13 to a team that only put up 13 to Georgia – I don't know if LSU is going to score in this game. I, I I just don't. Georgia's defense, yeah, taking a step, da- step back, no doubt about that, but still chock full of first-round picks. Offensively, Brock Bowers might be the best tight end in the class. You can make arguments for guys like, you know, uh, uh, Michael Meyer as well. Um, but they got uh, Kenny McIntosh has been playing great. Georgia's too good. I'm taking Uga all the way, and so is Skyler. Um, so, Let's head over to the American Conference, where a very interesting matchup is brewing. We're going to have the number 22-ranked UCF Golden Knights taking on the number 18-ranked Tulane Green Wave. Now, Mitch, if you didn't know this, this is the first time in program history Tulane will be playing for a conference championship. They have the opportunity to win their conference for the first time ever. And led by star quarterback Michael Pratt, the Green Wave will look to get it done. Mitch, UCF versus Tulane in a rematch of a game these two teams played three weeks ago when UCF pulled off the 38-31 to win at Tulane. 
Who you take? I think the Green Wave keeps rolling and strong. Um, I've liked what they've done over the this course of the year. They've beaten some really impressive teams. Uh, Kansas State, who's uh, playing in the Big 12 championship. They've beaten Houston, who's had a solid program. They beat Cincinnati, who's been, you know, the king of this uh, conference for the past how many years. Um, and I just feel like with Willie Fritz deciding to come back to Tulane and not take the Georgia Tech job, uh, I feel like that's a really big confidence boost for these guys, knowing that, hey, our coach believes in us. He wants to stay here. Uh, he likes what we're building. So uh, I'm going to go with the Tulane. Yeah, uh, Skyler. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Skyler is picking Tulane as well. And I'm going to go three for three. Listen, I've talked about my guy, um, Michael Pratt, all season long, but I've also talked about my guy, Ty J. Spears. What a fucking halfback Ty J. Spears is. I absolutely love this kid. Michael Pratt doesn't turn the ball over. Four interceptions in uh, 12 games so far this season. And and even though UCF pulled off the win last time these two teams met, it, it was a close game. And, and Tulane had its opportunities to win. The issue was they just fell behind early. They were down 24-7. to They mounted a huge comeback but couldn't quite get it done. UCF pulled it off. My issue with UCF is last week, all they had to do was beat South Florida, a 1-10 South Florida team, and they're in the conference championship. They jumped out to an early 28 to nothing lead, but after that, they were outscored 39-16. to Sorry, 39-18. to They allowed USF to not only come back, but at one point take the lead in the game. USF was up 39 to 30, a one win team before UCF pulled out a last second touchdown and won the game. That game really worried me. And and I know that it's rivalry week, but when you're a a nine win football team, an eight win football team walking into that and you're taking on a one win rival, it, it shouldn't be close. It shouldn't be close. Even if it's your rival, it shouldn't be close. And to start the game, it wasn't. 28 to nothing, but they blew it. They absolutely blew it. And I think Tulane is licking their lips at this rematch. I like to take the team that lost the first time. Uh, If it's a close, you know, if it was a close game, I'm going to take the green wave as well to pull off the win. Let's head out to Indianapolis, Indiana, where Jeff Brom leads Purdue to their first ever Big Ten championship game. They're going to drive just down the road from campus, but they're going to be taking on the powerhouse that is number two ranked Michigan. No word yet on Blake Corum. The expectation is that he's going to play in some capacity to my understanding, but um, Skyler is taking the Wolverines to pull off the win. Mitch Boilermakers, Wolverines, who are you taking? Purdue's not ranked, right? No, they are not. Uh... Yeah, I know oh. it's right, right. It's oh, it's basically man. a home game in Indianapolis against a top three ranked Big Ten East opponent. Ooh. I know it's tough, but I'm I'm gonna stick with Michigan, even though it's tempting to you know be spicy and pick Purdue given their history. Um, I, I don't know, I. O'Connell and Charlie Jones have been uh, have an amazing year uh, this year, but they've shown at times, like especially when they played against Wisconsin, and that how good that defense is, they're able to shut them down. 
and Michigan's been at the top or near the top in every defensive category this year. Um, so I feel like they'll find a way to shut it down, and it's not like Purdue has a stellar defense. So I I don't I don't think they need a Blake Corum. I think Donovan Edwards can have the same type of game that he just showed against Ohio State, and uh, they can do it against. It. But yeah, it's something to pick Purdue given their history. Yeah, it. Listen, just for the record, if Purdue wins, I'm going to come out as saying I'm not surprised. But I'm also picking Michigan. My issue with Purdue is through the Big Ten West, they played three very, very good defenses in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois. They put up 24 on Wisconsin, lost. They only had three points against Iowa. They put up 31 against Illinois and won. There's reason to believe Purdue can win this game. If the um, (laughs) connection between Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones gets going, Purdue could really run away with this thing. They could pull this uh, victory off. And and as I've stated throughout the entire year, for being a true freshman, I fucking love Devin Mockaby. I love his running style. I I love his toughness. I just – Michigan is too good at the secondary position. They're going to lock down Charlie Jones. Aiden O'Connell has thrown some really boneheaded interceptions. He's not as mobile a quarterback as I think he would like to admit. I got to take Michigan to win this game. Um, We watched Michigan take on a top five defense in the Big Ten championship game last year against Iowa, and they absolutely annihilated the Hawkeyes. I I would not be surprised if this is a follow-up of that annihilation. I'm going to take the Wolverines. Um, We will wrap up our conference championship predictions in the ACC as the Clemson Tigers return to the championship game to take on uh, Drake May, sorry, Derek May. I, no, Drake May. I apologize. Drake, Drake May. Right. Drake May and the North Carolina Tar Heels. You know, North Carolina's had an up and down season. They've lost their last two games against Georgia Tech and NC State. At one point, they were ranked, I believe, as high as 12th, I think, was their highest ranking, if I remember correctly. But so has Clemson. Clemson's lost two of their last four games. They're coming in struggling. Not necessarily, you know, on the outside looking in, for a college football playoff game. Mitch, who are you taking? Tigers, Tar Heels? I'm going to go with the upset and pick the Tar Heels. Um, listen, I don't care how dominant the Clemson defense has been. The secondary has been an issue. And the way that Drake May has been playing, uh, I feel like he's going to be able to shred it. And it really doesn't matter if North Carolina doesn't have the defense, if DJ Ugulele is going to lay an egg like he just did against a team like South Carolina. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of swagger with this Tar Heel team, um, whereas Clemson's, you know, it's kind of a little bit deflated. So I'm going to say North Carolina gets it done. Um, Skyler is taking the Tar Heels. I'm going to say, I'm going to make it three for three. Why the fuck not? Let's go Tar Heels. I, you know, if, if North Carolina had won one of these last two games against, against NC State or Georgia Tech, I'd be a lot more confident in this pick. But I just, first off, I love the storyline. Secondly, I I agree with Mitch. I just think that Drake May and this offense is going to have a field day against a really porous secondary. Um, You know, not only is Drake May uh, 35 touchdowns, which is uh, tied for fourth, um, he's got the fourth highest amount of yards, ninth QBR. Um, He's also the team's leading rusher at 629 rushing yards and six touchdowns. 
North Carolina rushes for 160 yards per game. They throw for 320. I, I, you know, if the offensive line can hold up, the Tar Heels can win this game very easily because DJ is going to make a mistake. Um, for Clemson, though, your path to success is pretty simple. Run the fucking football. Run the football with Will Shipley. It's worked out in every win you've had on the season, even in a couple of the losses, you've ran the ball really well. Run the ball, dominate time of possession, and hope your defense can pull out one or two stops against Drake May and hope your offense can convert. But I'm going to take the Tar Heels as well to pull off the win. So that is our college football episode. We'll come back next time, and we'll talk about conference championship week. We'll have the playoff matchup set. We'll have the New York Six Bowl game set. And uh, we will talk about the head coaching carousel. Uh, we got Luke Fickle leaving Cincinnati to go to Wisconsin. We've got Matt Rule leaving the golf course to go to Nebraska. Deion Sanders uh, is going to choose between Cincy, South Florida, and Colorado. Hugh Freeze goes to Auburn. And, and a couple of other moves as well across the college football world. And we're going to break down, get get our uh, the host's opinions on some of those. But let us know what you guys think on the head coaching carousel. Let us know what you guys think about the upcoming college football playoff and the uh, conference championship week. Email us your thoughts, fourthstringsp at gmail.com, F-O-U-R-T-H string, S-P at gmail.com, and have a fantastic night, everybody.